This episode of Inside the Vatican is brought to you by Hesburgh. Hesburgh is an award-winning documentary film about Father Theodore Hesburgh, longtime president of the University of Notre Dame and America's most well-known Catholic priest. Critics are calling Hesburgh a powerful and extraordinary film about one of America's all-time greatest educators. Hesburgh is out nationwide starting April 26th. For more information, visit hesburghfilm.com. That's H-E-S-B-U-R-G-H film.com. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about the death of Jean Vanier. Then we'll go through some of the highlights of the Pope's trip to Bulgaria and North Macedonia. Finally, we'll cover some breaking news on the question of women deacons. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. And uh, I'd like to give you a piece of good information. And what's that? Asia Bibi, the Pakistani woman who was in prison for 10 years and who was released some months back on charges of blasphemy. She risked uh, the death penalty. She has now arrived safely in Canada. And that's really a tremendous joy for the many people who have followed her fate in these years and really were concerned that she would, in fact, uh, have been executed. Right. And uh, ourselves included in that, we reported on her story, gosh, a few months ago now. But the big question was whether she would get out of Pakistan safely. Absolutely. And uh, it just uh, also shows what a mixture of international pressure and prayers. The the Pope was praying for her. He met her daughter and the husband. And uh, also the goodwill of people within the country who stand up to the uh, extremists, because the judges uh, were very courageous to to rule in her favor. Uh, they, they risk being killed. And uh, also the government has taken a strong stance in allowing her to get out of the country. So I, I think it's only when you face down these people in, in peaceful but, but determined ways that uh, changes can happen. This week, we're talking about three stories that have to do with the Pope's trip to Bulgaria and North Macedonia that he just returned from on Tuesday. We'll talk about what he did on that trip, but we're also going to talk about two things that he commented on during a press conference aboard the papal plane last night. The first of those is the death of Jean Vanier. So the first story that I wanted to talk to you about today is that Jean Vanier, the founder of L'Arche, the communities where people with abilities and with disabilities live together in community, uh, passed away at the age of 90 yesterday morning. And the Pope mentioned that he had called Jean Vanier personally before he died to thank him for his witness. And then he also extended condolences to the L'Arche community around the world. Why do you think that that Jean Vanier mattered so much to the Pope that he, you know, both personally reached out, but then also extended these public condolences too. Well, the Pope met him in 2014, March 2014, almost one year after his election. Uh, Jean Vanier came to the Vatican, the Pope met him. Uh, They had much in common because, you know, the Pope is always concerned about the poor what's happening, the discarded people. And Jean Vanier was one who was on the same track, uh, blazing uh, 
pioneering a route uh, that the Pope totally endorses and agrees with. I don't know if you've seen the photo of when the two met. No, I haven't seen it. There's real smiles and you, you didn't need words to understand that these two men were on the same page. Jerry, a lot of people during Jean Vanier's life, and including now, um, have referred to him as a, a living saint. Um, is that how people talk about him at the Vatican? Is there is there any talk about maybe a, a canonization looming? Well, f- I remember that when even when John Paul II was Pope, Jean Vanier came here and he, he was revered. Mm-hmm. He was revered like Mother Teresa was. He he was revered. He was on the put on as an, on the board of the Council for the Laity. But uh, his work his well, was really treasured, and uh, people recognized, you know, that this was really the gold standard for living the Christian life. What do you think the, the chances are that that process goes forward, though? Like, what, what kind of timeline would you say that we're looking at since you've seen a lot of these go through? The process, which was speeded up by John Paul II, was for five years after the person's death. And so Mother Teresa got off to a quicker start. Right, right. And uh, it's quite possible. I, I think many people would like to uh, see the church recognize as a model for Christians today, for believers today, for people in the world today, someone whom not just the Christians recognize, but the secular world and the people in other religions recognize as somehow a man of God in, in a very real way. Jean Vanier has a lot to teach our world today. If you're not familiar with him, we've compiled a few articles, podcasts, and videos about him at americamagazine.org, and I wrote our obituary of him. You can find links to all of those in the show notes. This weekend, Jerry traveled with the Pope to Bulgaria and North Macedonia. These are two neighboring countries on the Balkan Peninsula, and they have a lot in common, but also a lot that sets them apart. Bulgaria is larger than North Macedonia and much more prosperous. Bulgaria is a member of the European Union, whereas North Macedonia is not. It's much smaller and much poorer. The average wage in North Macedonia is about 450 US dollars per month, and unemployment is as high as 50% for young people, many of whom are recent immigrants. Both countries have received an influx of migrants in recent years, and that's leading to a shift in their religious demographics. So in North Macedonia, a third of the population is now Muslim, and about two-thirds are Orthodox Christian. In Bulgaria, it's closer to 10% Muslim and three-quarters Orthodox. Roman Catholics are tiny minorities in, in both of these countries. So why is it that the Pope decided to visit there? When Mother Teresa was born in Skopje, there was even perhaps less Catholics. But she emerged out of it, and she's become a symbol to the world. I, and I, I reflected back on the gospel story, you know, when uh, some people said about Jesus, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, you could equally say the same about Macedonia. Can anything good come out of Macedonia? And yet you have here this woman who, as Francis said yesterday, is a great woman admired across the world, across religions, across the secular world. 
just recognized that here was something. And so Francis is very uh, attentive to these peripheries, which other people tend to discard. You know, they're not important. They're, they're not Germany. They're not France. They're, they're not the power nations of this world. And he, he felt the importance of going to them. And secondly, both are Christian Orthodox countries. And Francis is very keen on the unification, the bringing together of the Christian churches. That unification is a daunting task, especially for a Catholic pope in two Orthodox countries. Before the pope came to Bulgaria, for example, Orthodox leaders ordered the clergy not to take part in any prayers or services with the pope, saying it was against their laws. But Pope Francis was able to meet with the Orthodox Patriarch and visited an Orthodox cathedral. In Bulgaria, the Bulgarian Orthodox Church, you have the Patriarch. The Pope called him on the plane. He said he's a holy man. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very touched by this man. When the Pope met him, he em embraced him and kissed the little medallion that he wears. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two spoke together. But uh, they didn't pray together. The only thing in the Pope's speech, when this Pope gave a talk, the Patriarch, first of all, gave a talk welcoming him, mm -hmm. and then the Pope gave a talk. And at the beginning, the Pope used the the orthodox expression in Greek, Christ is risen. And all the monks who were present from the synod of the orthodox church responded, Christ is risen, in, of course, in Greek. And that's a traditional greeting for Easter, right? That's the traditional Easter greeting, but it's interesting. It's the closest they came to a prayer. Jerry, why why won't they pray together? Because the uh, Orthodox, the Bulgarian Orthodox, they, they largely also the other, they consider that the like the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, has split from the main body of the Church, and they see themselves as the the main. Christian community, which has kept the true faith, if you wish, which hasn't uh, departed from the tradition and the teaching. So would they view praying with the Pope to be a departure from the true teaching? Yes. Got it. The relationships between Bulgarian Orthodox Christians and Catholics has been improving in recent decades. After about a thousand years of separation, two popes in the last 17 years have visited Bulgaria, John Paul II and Francis. John Paul II, who was, of course, seen as a hero because of his role in the fall of communism, but he was also a Slav like them. And then Francis. And uh, the patriarch in his speech, he said, the, the ways of God are inscrutable. How can we explain that in a whole thousand years, suddenly, within this short period, we have two popes coming here? And so one has to... Francis is very good the way he looks at this. He says, we walk together. We can't resolve our theological problems immediately. Okay, well, let's not waste time bashing each other to try to resolve them. Let's walk together. Let's work together. And in both he and the patriarch agreed that they have to work to help the persecuted Christians in different parts of the world. Yeah, Jerry, it seems like from this context you're giving us that, that you want us to remember that there is progress being made, right? That, that you know, this is how it looks now, but maybe maybe one day they will pray together or, or at least, you know, cooperate more. 
I feel certain that in, in, in time we're going to see things change. Uh, the Pope spent a good bit of time focusing on young people when he was on this trip. He had a meeting with young people of different religions where they could ask him questions. And then he also he gave 245 kids their first communion in Bulgaria. And it was that letter story that I wanted to ask you just what that what that scene was like. That was fantastic. He, he, he traveled uh, more than 100 miles southwest of Sofia, which is the capital of Bulgaria, especially to lead, to be preside at the mass for the first communion of these children. Remember, in Bulgaria, there are 68,000 Catholics. Here you had 245 children. That's a lot in a small Catholic community. And he went there specially to give them First Communion. No pope had ever gone to that area. It's a Catholic enclave. Is it like a rural area? Yes, it's 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 a little town in a rural area, yes. And they uh, gave him a tremendous welcome. He talked to the children and he, he, he came out, first of all, in, in, he gave a little homily first. And he'd said, you know, the, 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 we all have an identity card, and our identity card is this: God is our Father, Jesus is our brother, the Church is our family, our mother. We are brothers and sisters, and our love is the law of our life. And he got the children to uh, to repeat that bit by bit, and then when he when he had finished that, then he said, "I have a question for you." So they looked at him, and he had a translator, of course. He said, are we enemies? And they looked wide-eyed at him. He said, yes, are we enemies? And then they came, no, we're not. <laughs> and then he said, so if we are not enemies, are we friends? And they said, yes. Talking about catechesis, mm-hmm. how can you get across the central message of the of the Christian gospel in so few words. Right. And that simple message that we aren't enemies but friends seemed to be what Pope Francis was trying to communicate throughout his trip to these two countries that are divided by culture, by religion, and even by wealth and generation. He sees himself as a parish priest. He's a pastor. He's first and foremost a pastor. And that is what he wants to be. He doesn't want to be a prince, a monarch, a ruler up there. He, he wants to be a pastor. And that's what he sees that the role of the successor of peace, Peter is to be a pastor and to help the churches uh, build unity and uh, serve in that way. Another way that Pope Francis has tried to be a pastor is by listening to people who haven't always been listened to in the Vatican. And that includes religious sisters, who met the Pope a few years ago and asked him about the possibility of ordaining women as deacons. At that meeting, Pope Francis promised to put together a commission of researchers to study what role women may have had as deacons in the early church. He organized the commission, and they gave him their findings in January, but those were secret. This week, that same group of sisters who first asked about women deacons are expected to meet with the Pope again, and everyone was wondering if we would finally find out what the commission said. And the Pope finally talked about it for the first time on the plane ride back from North Macedonia. First of all, what the Pope said was they 
they didn't agree among themselves. Right, right. There was no consensus position. In fact, he said disagreeing with one another. Right. Uh, I think he, he used a kind of a an expression like, what did it? Toads out of different ponds. Out of different wells, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever is the expression, toads out of different wells. But <laughs> the, the 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 concept was clear that the members of the commission themselves, uh, some of whom have a lot of historical knowledge, etc., didn't seem to agree on some things. So what points are agreed on as regards women deacons? And then what are the points of contention that the Pope thinks needs further research? What everybody agrees on was that in the early church, we're talking specifically, they were asked to study the early church. In the early church, women uh, exercised roles as deacons, but what exactly were these roles? They involved, since baptism was done by immersion, when a woman was being baptized, a woman deacon would be present. Right, she would assist with different things. Yes. If a person was dying, a woman was dying, a, a woman deacon would go to anoint the woman. Mm-hmm. And there are some cases where it seems that in terms of matrimonial disputes between a husband and wife, where there's uh, the question of annulment or dissolution of the marriage, women would be sent to uh, examine the woman if she has claimed that the man has beaten her. Right, And right. the woman would check whether she has bruises on her body. There seems to be agreement on this, okay? So that's point one that women had some role. Where there is not agreement is, let's say, the formula that was used to give women the role of deacon, whether that was the same formula that was used with men and whether it had the same goals. So whether they were like ordained in the same way, like in the same sort of ceremony with the same words. Yeah, there were those who said it's not the same formula And there's others who seem to suggest maybe it is. Got it. So do you think that further research on this topic can actually move a decision forward? Or does it seem more likely that it'll just be more researched and and become more complicated and maybe we won't get a decision for a long time? Well, I I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, it's clear that if you set up a commission of many of the experts in the field, and they cannot reach an agreement on this question, mm-hmm. well, clearly you probably don't give it to the same commission to continue researching if they haven't, after two years, already come up with a, something they can agree on. Maybe you set up another group to study the, the question. Mm-hmm. The Pope didn't, didn't say this, but uh, I, I got the impression, and I underlined the word impression, sure. that uh, th- this task will... will it didn't make sense to give it to the same body. Are there any other um, like factors or factions that, that we need to take into consideration when we look at how the Pope responds to this question of women deacons? He wants a, a clarity. Right. Because he's not going to take a decision uh, without clarity. Uh, I, I should under, underline a second thing. Mm-hmm. Francis is very insistent that we don't clericalize women. Mm, That's interesting. Can you talk more about that? Uh, Pope Francis has repeatedly said, 
we must not clericalize women. And also he's, he's talking about the laity in the church as well, not just women. Hmm. He, he's very insistent that he, he thinks clericalism, this idea that you belong to a superior order, that you've got power above everybody else, uh, he feels this has done a lot of damage to the church and he sees it in terms of the whole of the abuse question. Right, that, right. Uh, this, this kind of putting yourself above uh, you, even you, you see, as Pope, he absolutely goes the opposite way. He he, he kind of uh, tries to go down to to not be higher than anybody else. So he's worried that if we raise women up to the role of deacon, that there would be that same phenomenon happening to them. Oh, he, what he doesn't want is that if there are to be deacons, that. Or if the laity, and, and go in the broader than women, if the laity to get give more role, more uh, more decisional power, etc., in the church, it, it mustn't lead to a clericalism, uh, to a caste, to a, a group which considers itself above above others. In other words, that it, it's not a power grabbing operation. It's not clear yet whether the Pope will put together a new team of researchers to tackle the question of women deacons in the early church, but we'll keep you up to date on what happens next here on Inside the Vatican. Jerry, thanks for all your insights this week and all the context you were able to provide. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. It's very good discussing, chatting with you and uh, sharing different experiences. I always find these trips with the popes, with John Paul II, with Benedict, and now with Francis especially, I, I find them so inspiring, so educated. And you understand what the Catholic Church is. And you understand that it's not meant to be the majority and we've seen now in the four last four trips that it is the minority but it has like mother teresa from that tiny tiny minority in macedonia something enormously powerful has impacted the world inside the vatican is produced by american media at the william j lowshirt studio our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. See you next week. This episode of Inside the Vatican is brought to you by Hesburgh. Hesburgh is an award-winning documentary film about Father Theodore Hesburgh, longtime president of the University of Notre Dame and America's most well-known Catholic priest. Critics are calling Hesburgh a powerful and extraordinary film about one of America's all-time greatest educators. Hesburgh is out nationwide starting April 26th. For more information, visit hesburghfilm.com. That's H-E-S-B-U-R-G-H film.com.